And we read this. At that time, the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up the mountain having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain, or in the mountain, from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark in which I had made, and there they are just as the Lord commanded me. Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of Bene Yaachan to Moserah, where Aaron died, and where he was buried. And Eleazar, his son, ministered as priest in his stead. From there they journeyed to Godgoda. Aren't you thankful I'm reading this tonight? Godgoda. And from Godgoda to Yatbatha, a land of rivers of water. At that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi, to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him and bless in his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. And as at the first time I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord also heard me at that time, and the Lord chose not to destroy you, which obviously... This would be a silly sermon if the Lord did destroy them. They would have no one to speak with. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him. And to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. And He chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And be stiff-necked no more or no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and you shall hold to Him. You shall hold fast. Take oaths in His name. As He is your praise. He's your God. Who has done for you these great and awesome things in which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons and now the Lord your God has made you as stars of heaven in multitude. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, in the time You have given us here, May your word burst open and come alive for every one of us. 
May we be overwhelmed with your goodness. May we have so much fun in your word. But Lord, get us where we need to be gotten today. Lord, open our hearts and our ears and our minds to receive your word and our lives to implement it. Lord, immerse me in your Holy Spirit and fill me to overflowing that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do and speak to every one of us individually where we need and corporately as a family. I pray if there be any who have yet to know you, let this be the day of their salvation. I pray, Lord, that whatever the state we're in, we will walk out of here in a better state. And today, Lord, ready to embrace what you have before us. We commit this time, Lord. May we just be captivated now. Redeem every second. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be your final authority. In chapter 9, verse 1, God brought us to this state. He said, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and to go and possess nations greater and mightier than yourself. Cities great and fortified up to heaven, people great and tall as the descendants of Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you've heard it said, Who can stand before the descendants of Anakim? Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is He who goes over you, before you, as a consuming fire. He will destroy them before you. You shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. And the, in recap, the first three verses of the, pre, of the previous chapter, God says, we're about to pull off the impossible. And because it is impossible for you without me, you must stick close to me. In verses 4 to 6, God makes really clear of the previous chapter, do not for a moment think that the reason why I'm going to give you this great victory, the reason why I'm going to settle you in and put you exactly where you need to be is because you earned it. It will never be because of your personal earned righteousness, but rather it'll be because I love you. What's interesting among the Christian community is how many of others might try to call you self-righteous. I'd like you to realize that Christianity is the only group of people who are not self-righteous. Because we are Christ-righteous. If I have to pray this many times and I have to take this trip and I have to make sure I confess this thing and I make sure I give this much and I make sure I keep and hold this and I empty my soul of this and I empty my mind of this and I do this and that and perform and perform and perform and at the end of it all it's enough. Who earned it? That's self-righteous. If I recycle and I'm kind and I give to charities, that's self-righteous. God says, you will never be self-righteous. You are righteous only by what I do. The rest of the chapter then, which is verses 7 to 29 of the previous chapter, God then reviews a bit of their history. Well, Moses does. To remind them that if you are naturally defensive when God says, you didn't earn it, you say, oh yeah, I'm a good person. God says, roll film. This is what happened from the time you left. Just the Mount Choreb. And from there to Tibera, to Masa, to Gibroth Hata'ava, to Kadesh Barnea, where you wouldn't even go in the last time as a peoples. You had a complaining, accusing mouth, a faithless heart, wandering eyes, a loose temper, craving mind in a disobedient life. So I'm only saying that, Moses speaking, I'm only saying this, loose paraphrase, 
because I want you to realize that this is and will always be about grace. We don't cash in on that in a way that it's a license for lunacy or licentiousness, but rather it is a cause for praise and celebration. So the last chapter put us in our place. We learned our lessons from their past. And that was a perfect thing to do at the end of the year. The Lord brought us there, chapter 9, last Sunday of the year. Chapter 10 now, the Lord starts turning us to the future and tells us now that we need to start embracing our future with him. What a perfect way to start 2015. In this chapter, he'll tell us, by the way, what it's going to really look like to walk in the victory of our God. And it points us to the future. Now that we've learned from our past, notice how it starts. Verses 1 through 5. Moses reviews the fact that he went up the mountain a second time, got a second batch of the Ten Commandments, and brought them back down just like the first time. I'd like you to consider this as we start to move forward with life. That as we start to move forward with life, what would that look like for Moses? There was a time where Moses had gone up. Now, I want you to recognize, according to Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, according to Exodus 19 and 20, God spoke the Ten Commandments for everybody to hear. This wasn't a private conference for Moses, and he comes down and realizes they had broken laws they didn't know of. God spoke the Ten Commandments for everybody to hear, and when Moses went up then to receive the rest of the law and to get that written out, the people were already going after the first one. They were leaving the first of them. So when Moses came down the first time, he walks down that mountain. That's a new thing for him. Now, I remind you, the guy's 80 years old. And he comes down the mountain with these two tablets with the commandments on it. He sees the people dancing around naked before a golden calf. In his anger, he throws down the law. And then he goes after him. He takes that golden calf. At first, he, of course, he asks Aaron, much like God did with Adam, what happened? And I just, I almost hear Aaron sound like Tom Mater from Cars. He's like, I don't know. We just like, they threw a bunch of golden earrings in the thing. And up came this calf, you know. And I'm like, what? And you, obviously he's lying. And he grinds the thing to powder, throws it into the water, makes them drink it. And God says, now let's go back up. Now Moses is coming down the mountain again. It's not a new thing. This is the second time. He's not coming down the mountain very differently. He's got the same two tablets. This time it's not broken again. And he's coming down. But the difference isn't Moses's. It's their reception of him. Do you know what God just did? All right. Take two. That's what God just did. I'd like you to consider the fact how God starts this chapter. He starts this chapter saying, if we're going to move forward, one of the first things you need to realize is we need to leave our mistakes behind. I'm not just talking about a sin you're dealing with and you're laying it before God, but those things you can't change. You did something really stupid. You did something and you knew it was a sin. You knew it was outright rebellion. You did something and you knew God said no when you said, oh, I can't hear you, la, 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 and, and all of that. And uh, somewhere down the line, the enemy like has built a summer home there and he keeps taking you there to visit every day. What God did was so beautiful because not only did Moses get to go back down the mountain and get to see it a whole brand new way, but the people got to see Moses come down differently too because the people were in a different state to receive Moses. And that's a pretty radical thought. 
that what God did, he says, why don't we go back to this place and do it over, but this time we're going to do it right, and then once we do it right, let's forget about the last one. You've learned your lesson. By you being different this time tells me that you've learned your lesson. And I wonder for some of us, how many times Moses has to go down the mountain? He's gone down the mountain, we've blown it. He goes back up, he goes down the mountain, we've blown it again. He goes up the mountain, it's like, the guy's 80 years old, do you want to kill the guy? And there I am going, oh, I know we need to learn from this. It's a golden calf, and then it's a golden car, and then it's a golden ticket, and then it's a golden whatever. In the end of it all, we're like, we're constantly fashioning and forming, but sooner or later, somewhere, and praise God, it was only a second time here, where Moses comes down and everything's different. And the whole thing's repainted. There are certain painters that if you look actually close enough, you can see the markings from where they originally had put something. But they're like, no, that's not going to work. And they could kind of scrape it out, kind of paint over it. And some of the masters, by the way, you can see this over their paintings. You can see with Rembrandt pretty clearly because he used a lot of spades as well. I find that interesting because my toothpaste is Rembrandt, which is interesting because, not that I'm advertising it, I'm not trying to get anything, because he uses like browns and yellows, right? Isn't that what he's famous for? Anyways, that just didn't make sense to me. Now, fo- follow me on this for a second. What God says is so much more than God kind of painting over. And that's what the enemy would try to get you to believe. What I've learned is that the enemy lies about how small, he makes the sin look smaller on one side and then makes it look huge on the other. In the other words, it's the same thing that anyone who's selling you something deceitfully would do. They're trying to make the payment look so small and, the, and the, the benefit look so huge. But then when you actually see, it's not five easy payments, is it? You ever get suckered into one of those things where it's like, oh, this is a, it's an entry thing and it's going to be super cheap. And then, of course, two months later, you're still enrolled, but you didn't know it. And you have to fight for like a year to get them to stop charging you. Well, that's what the enemy is trying to do to you. You're aware of that, right? So you need to hear Scripture. And this is what the Bible says. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, verse 25. God speaking, by the way. I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Jeremiah 31.34 No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the last of them to the greatest of them, or the least to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God even says, you want to try to reason this out? It's Isaiah 118, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. And the nice thing about white as snow means there's no hint of that before. There's no, he doesn't say, I'll make it bright pink. Though your sins is scarlet, don't worry, I'll make it really, really a pale shade of peach. So there's always the reminder, making it white as snow is no hint of red left. Now, I don't know what it is, the baggage that you carry. But let me say that if the Lord is honest, and He is, to say that His yoke is easy and His burden is light and your burden is heavy, then something needs to be left behind. My challenge to you is, do it right this time. As we look to the future, leave that behind. 
Stop beating yourself up over something Christ died for. Stop abusing yourself, berating yourself, saying you'll always be the victim, you'll always be the tweaked, you'll always be the whatever. When you are now, according to Christ, the new creation, it is time to walk like it. And you can't walk like a new creation if you're carrying the luggage of the old person with you everywhere you go. No wonder why it says in Romans, since he crucified you with Christ, reckon the old man dead. You're dead. I'm not playing with you anymore. You stink. That's the point. And that's how this starts. So if I'm going to go and embrace the future God has for me, it is time to leave my old crimes behind. Amen? To be honest, we could almost stop there and pray for the next 40 minutes. But I'm going to move forward. Notice the almost. That's my way out. Because notice, the moment that happens, the next thing is that they move forward. Look at verse 6 with me. Now the children of Israel journeyed then, and they went to these places that probably none of you have ever been to. It would be weird if you did. Beni Yaakon, any of you been to Beni Yaakon? Or Bir Beni Yaakon, because Bir is the Hebrew word for, for well. It literally means, by the way, the wells of the twisted sons. Yeah, there you go. And they moved from there to a place called Mosera. Could you say Mosera? Come on now, give it to me. There's a lot of you here. Mosera. It means correction. What's interesting is we go from a place of the twisted or the tweaked sons to a place of correction. And there, God starts replacing the priest. And this becomes my second thing. Now understand, I'm not, when I'm reading this and I'm studying this, it isn't because I want to teach you, I'll be honest. It's because I want to follow Christ. You just get the benefit of that if there be one, and I'm sure there is. They move from there, and it says, notice there, Aaron dies, Aaron, means light bearer, the one who brings light. And there he was buried. And then his son, Eleazar, would you say Eleazar? Eleazar is the new priest. El, like Elohim or Eloha, means God. Itzer means helper. His name literally means God the helper. And if I'm going to move forward in this new future that the Lord has replaced my old nasty one with, I'm going to need to give God the helper his rightful place. Now, it's interesting because that's the term that Jesus is going to use when he introduces a person we know as the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, by the way, because in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm leaving. Which, of course, every one of these guys that he's speaking with, except for Judas, they've, they've all left everything to follow him. And so he's like, yeah, I'm going to go now. Wouldn't you panic? You know, it's like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You, we all put every egg in the basket of Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, I'm going to take my basket and go now. And you're like, What? What in the world? And I've I, I got to be honest. I think there must have been a blessing to see their panic in Christ's eyes. What if it were the opposite? What if the Lord's like, I'm going to go, and we'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. What do you think that would do? To, but I wonder, in my own life, are those moments? Are there moments where the Lord could just say, you know what? I'm clearly not welcome here. I probably don't need to be here anyways. And I'd be like, no, 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 please, no, please. 
Not, not that he's leaving. He'll never leave and forsake us. But those moments where you just don't have that clarity anymore of his presence like you should. Because don't worry. Because I'll send you. It's good that I go. Because if I don't go, I won't send you another helper. And when you read that, it's easy to go, oh, he's called a helper. But he's not called a helper. He's called another helper. Allah means the same, another of the same. And that's important because understand when Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit to these guys in this manner, the whole point of it is that there was obviously some helper that now there's another. Does that make sense? You can't have another without a first one. And what Jesus is making clear is what he did in front of them, the Holy Spirit's not going to do in them. That's the point. So when I start to see this, I go, no, wait a minute. Does the Holy Spirit, God the Helper, have his rightful place in my life? like these people who needed Eliezer to move them forward. Now what's interesting is that he is the most abused of the Trinity as far as I can see in all of Scripture. Because on one side he's a license for lunacy. And the idea of it is you can do anything. You could belch and burp and fart and scream and and get drunk and do crazy stuff and all of that and call it in the Spirit. I thought you knew anything. I'm going to slap someone in the Spirit. And I'm going to this in the Spirit. As if somehow you put in the Spirit in it and it somehow makes it okay. And there is that side where everything is so based on experience, but it isn't tethered to true. On the other side of it, there's this, well, we're so true, we're dead true. We don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. Which is interesting because they'll say, oh, we don't believe God has any gifts. You know, all of his gifts are used up, which is funny because they're using the gift of teaching to teach you that God doesn't use the gifts. That's a little ironic for me. And then, well, there are other, those are sign gifts. Sign gifts, what, to validate a message? Well, if God knows how to validate his message. And if he needs to use that or wants to use that, is he welcome to do that in my life? If God wants to have somebody speak in another language, is that cool with me? Hey, as long as it's going to bless somebody, bring it on. And that becomes the issue. Is that somewhere down the line, what you have are some people that are like, oh, now I can do whatever I want. Or some people that go, well, don't get near me because I don't want to be possessed. But the moment you gave your life to Christ, did you know what? You got possessed. You're aware of that, right? Just by Jesus. Well, that works for me. But the one thing that becomes really clear in chapters 14 through 16, if you want to be a student of the Word in this, let me just challenge you with a little assignment. John chapters 14 through 16, look at every point where Jesus mentions the Holy Spirit, write everything He's called, everything He does or doesn't do, and any other facts about Him. You will get so much beautiful information as He gives these little nuggets. Like, for instance, He doesn't speak on His own authority. He doesn't glorify himself, but he'll glorify Jesus. I do love those points. Which means that if I spend an hour with the Holy Spirit and I end up at the feet of the Holy Spirit, I think I'm missing something. Because Jesus said, if you spend time with the Holy Spirit, you're going to end up at my feet. The primary catalyst, or or I should say the mission of the Holy Spirit, is the catalyst of intimacy between us and, and God. I get it. No wonder why it gets so abused on either side. Because on this side, it's all about me. On this side, it's kind of all about me too. But somewhere in the middle, there's a surrender that says, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, lead me to complete surrender in you. Let me disappear and let Christ be seen. As John the Baptist would say, let me disappear or I must decrease and he must increase. Wouldn't that be beautiful if that's what we became? Because what's interesting is that's what Jesus told us we need to be if we're going to call ourselves Christians. To pick up our cross daily, deny ourselves, and to follow him. So let me ask, how are you with the Holy Spirit? 
I'm not talking about something esoteric. I'm not talking about something that's solely experiential. And I'm not talking about something where you want him so far away. This is a third of God. Do you really want to rob yourself of him? But to say, Lord, the moment that I received you, according to Ephesians 1.13, you placed your Holy Spirit inside of me as a guarantee of my inheritance in you. And from that moment, he started doing house cleaning. Cleaning me from the inside out. Oh, Lord, be my guest and bear forth fruit. Bear forth the fruit of eternity in my life now. Please make me a different person. Not just in principle, but in practice. And if I'm going to embrace God's future, I need God's Holy Spirit to lead me like he should. Because the very next thing that happens is that I start developing my own calling. Look at it with me. It says then, by the way, after that it says in verse 7, they journeyed down from a place called Gudgoda. Could you say Gudgoda? That means to cut away, to carve away. How perfect. To a place named Yodbatha. Try Yodbatha. Come on now, I lost you. Yodbatha. Yodbatha means pleasantness. Contentedness. It's interesting. I went from a place of twisted sons to a place of correction. And there, God the Helper steps in. And there, where God the Helper steps in, He moves me then to a place of cutting, carving off of me. And from there to a place of pleasantness. Notice it tells us a place with rivers of water, a place of great refreshment, a place of life. Isn't that what you want? Not just for 2015, but for your life. To be somebody that, as Jesus said, we could come to him thirsty, but if we come believing, out of us will torrent living water. Not just that he'll fill our cup or rinse us off. We could come the parched soul. We don't leave the satisfied soul. We leave the fountain. That's what we become. So that other parched souls could come and find it. So, I am leaving my past crimes behind. I am letting God the Helper have His his proper place. And He moves me to a place of pleasantness and refreshment, or dare I say, overflow. And that moves me then into a place of service. Please hear me in this. When Jesus told us that out of us would torrent living water, Clearly, it's more than we can possess. John writes in 1 John, I write this so that your joy may be full. Literally, above and beyond what you can contain. Jesus told us that he'd come not just to give us life in John 10, but life overabundant, literally. More than you can contain. Joy more than you can contain. Life more than you can contain. Love more than you can contain. So what happens when you have more than you can contain? You spill. God intends for you to be, hear me on this, hear me on this, a sloppy Christian. And what I mean by that is you spilling God all over the place. Somebody bumps into you and somebody else with an open fire and you spill joy on them and they go, what, what? 
Somebody says, could you, and they kind of look for that, that kind of, I'm going to make you feel guilty, and I'm not going to go the whole mile, but I'll, you know. And you say, no, 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 actually, what do I need to do? And they go, what? Because you're spilling love on them. Not just warm, fuzzy hug, but genuine selfless service. We'll see that here in a moment. If I'm going to embrace the future God has for me in this year, if you're going to embrace the future God has for you in this year, let's leave those past crimes. Let's leave them behind. Let's let God the Helper have His proper place. And then as He does, and He leads us to a place of overflow, then let's be available for Him to set me apart for what He wants to use me for. But please hear me. The average, you know, here's the danger. You could come into a place like this and we could try to run it like a business. And that can happen because unless we get the biblical model, we're going to draw everything from the world. Hear me on that again. Unless you get the biblical model for anything, you're going to draw it from the world. Who's Jesus? Well, I think he is, and their eyes roll back because they're getting creative now, right? I think he just loves everyone and he's a vegetarian. He's clearly vegetarian. I mean, it's like, and you get into this thing and all of a sudden it's like, because what happens is unless you get what the Bible defines, you're going to make it up yourself. And you'll draw from what you know, which is the world. That becomes the danger. And the way that if we run church, the way that the world runs a business, you come in, I'm sizing you up. I'm saying, well, what gifts and talents do you have? Let me check out. I'm doing sort of a visual CV. Does that make sense? I wonder how you qualify. Well, you seem like a pretty safe person. I think you should be in children's ministry. Or you seem like this, and I think you should handle this. And you know what? I don't even know you, but oh, you're a, you're a lawyer, or you're a, a barrister, you're a solicitor. Well, you should probably be on the board. Really? Just because of that? And what happens is you come into this, and you, what happens is now you've got some people, by the way, some people are just going to be like the Hunger Games girl. You know what? It's like, I just got conviction, and I'm just going to do what I want. And then there are others who are driven by duty. And the duty people you can see because they'll do it and they'll dry up and die and they'll give you that look at best and they feel guilty even about looking worn out because they are worn out because they're not serving from the overflow. They don't even know what an overflow is. Instead, what they're doing instead is they're fulfilling a duty because someone handed them a roster. And it can happen anywhere. But it should never happen in the church. Now look it. Let's be honest. In your house, chances are your parents gave you chores. You know why? Because they can't do everything. So, you know, parents are working all day and the kids have been sitting out playing Xbox for six hours and then turn around and say, what's for dinner? Parents, at that point, they just have to fight not wanting to kill their children. And I've heard it said my brother, who's, by the way, a grandparent, he says, grandchildren are God's way of rewarding you for not killing your children. Anyways. And the Lord calls us to this place where we have to let the Holy Spirit lead. And if the Holy Spirit leads and His Word is filling us, we find ourselves so full that we just want to do something. The strangest part is, and this is the part that will drive you mental, if you've come from one of those places where everything's very administratively run from a sort of a church business perspective. As you come in here and you're like, hi, I'm here and I'm gifted and I'm ready to serve. And you're like, number one, I don't know you. Number two, this is family here and nobody pops in and does that that we don't know. Three, I don't want to give you what God was telling you to do unless God tells me he has your number two, right? 
Because if he doesn't have your number, I shouldn't be giving you anything. But what happens when you start getting a burden in your heart for something because you're so overflowing, you've got to spend it. You're eating right and you're getting healthy and you get all this energy all of a sudden and you want to do something with it. And if you sit down long enough, your knee starts doing this thing. You know that kind of thing? That's says your body says, we should get up and do something. Don't you think we should get up and do something? You're like, I am doing something. The body's like, the rest of us, not just the thumbs. And somewhere down the line, we get to that place where like, you know what? God, not, in a, you know, not just in some esoteric way, but I want your Holy Spirit to lead me, which I know means surrender, which I know means intimacy with you. And as I'm intimate with you, something pretty radical happens. You know what happens? I want to serve. And all of a sudden, I find myself serving. Because the next thing, I start seeing things I didn't see before. I start seeing somebody in need, or I start seeing a thing in need, or I start seeing some group of people that now all of a sudden my heart's soft to that wasn't necessarily before. Because now God, through His Holy Spirit, is overflowing out of me. And now it's just an issue of where to direct that refreshment. But if you're like, well, what's the program? The program is fall in love with the Lord, get to overflowing, and give us the privilege of watching you do something. And if you need permission, you have permission. Go serve the Lord. Now we just want to get in your boat and row instead of get in your boat and steer. Now, for some people, you're like, but that could take forever. Well, if that takes as long, if that takes that long for you to overflow, then we shouldn't be putting you in position till it happens. Because you'll dry up, and then you'll be like, this whole thing's a joke. I thought this was supposed to be fun. Can I just say, I've been a pastor for over 25 years. Isn't that scary? And just to make it even scarier, I wasn't even saved till I was 19. Because I'm 110 now. Just kidding. Just kidding. You know you're getting in trouble, some of you, a few of you, when you're actually reading the Old Testament for encouragement on your birthday. You know? Oh, look at Methuselah. Anyways, and you get to that place where in all of the years that I've done this, I have never for a second not loved what I get to do. I mean, sincerely. Now, that doesn't mean people aren't crazy. That doesn't mean people don't go mental and there's not, you know, I mean, all of that stuff happens. But somewhere down the line, you thank the Lord because I don't deserve a second of this. And I'll never deserve a second of this. But because he loves me, this is what he does. But man, if I don't tap into the Lord and cling to him and don't overflow from him, you know what, I'm, I'm a hose unattached trying to put out a fire. The best thing that could happen is you grab the other side and start blowing real hard. And it still isn't going to work much. And we're the vehicle. We're not the source. We never will be the source. We're the vehicle. We just have the privilege of tapping into the infinite for permanence. Does that make sense? Because see, it'll pick up here in a moment when he actually gets to the kind of gist of what, he, what he's sort of requiring. You know, somewhere down the line, I think with this church, we should stop somewhere in the middle and get everyone to like do jumping jacks or something. You know what I mean? Because like a warm up. Well, anyways. Yeah. So listen. Verse 8 then, now we've got to that place of refreshment. Verse 8 says, at that time the Lord separated then the tribe of Levi. To bear the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, to bring the presence of the Lord places. To stand before the Lord. The idea of there is an intercession. To minister to Him. And to bless in His name. That means to serve other people in the name of the Lord to this day. Notice nowhere does it say just serve people. It says serve in His name. God has never called the church to just be nice. According to the book of Colossians, says whatever you do, he gets two stipulations. One, do it heartily. You know what that means? Do it with your heart. I'm like, oh, yeah, there you go. And the other is do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
do not, I mean, I'm not telling you don't give clothes to homeless people. I'm telling you give clothes to homeless people. Do it in the name of Jesus and do it heartily. I'm not telling you not to feed the poor. I'm telling you feed the poor, do it heartily, and do it in the name of Jesus. And if you're going to go on a mission, do it heartily and do it in the name of Jesus. Do not call in ministry if you're not doing it in the name of Jesus. Because here he tells us, I am setting you apart as a people. There is a corporate calling here among the Levites. And you're going to bring the presence of the Lord in places where they have not seen it. Where they've heard the name. Hey, when they go into Canaan, they've heard the name. When they dealt with Ammon and they've dealt with other guys, they've heard the name. They've heard about what God has done. They think it's fairy tales, stories. Does that sound familiar? But they haven't met the person. And that's where you come in. God's Levite. But can I just say again, he doesn't call you to that until you get to that place where you get to the rivers. You got to get there first. And how do you get there? God the helper leads you there. That's how. Not just the pastor can't do what the Holy Spirit can do. Holy Spirit can use a pastor, but I can't lead you to the water. I can actually tell you where it is. The Holy Spirit's got to lead you there because in the end of it all, what happens for the next week and a half? The good news is he never leaves you nor forsakes you. And that gift that he gives, he never gives a gift and repeals it. So, let him lead you. Let him lead you to the rivers of living water. And as he does, overflow, homes, overflow. And then watch how he sets you apart to use you. With that, notice there comes, that becomes our first therefore. There'll be three in this. The moment you start realizing God puts a calling on your life, you better realize, as I embrace my calling now, I need to see the value in eternal investments, not just temporary ones. One of the saddest things is what happens is when people grab their calling and then try to use it just in the temporary. God's given you a gift to teach. He's given you a gift of giving. He's given you a gift of ministry, service, a gift of mercy. And you see people in need and you want to help them. And you get somehow caught under the overcast of the temporary and think you've done something for eternity. Beloved, can I tell you, we've been in situations where we have responded to crisis. I mean, epidemic crisis. And the biggest hurdle we have to get over are Christians that are kind but silent. And we say that people, everyone needs Jesus because there's no one good. That's what Scripture says. And they say, those people are good and they're not Christian. And you're like, oh, no, no, they actually are Christians. They're like, well, why didn't they tell us then? I'm like, well, you're going to need to take that up with them. And that's our hurdle to get over. Beloved, please hear me. The rest of the chapter now will boil down to these five things as we embrace the future. But can I just say this? This is the way it looks before God even lays out his list of demands. It's simple. I want you to leave your crimes behind. Stop dragging them with you. God's like, I've buried them. I've washed them. I've cast them as far as east is from west. I choose to remember them no more. Why are you trying to remind me? You know why God chooses to remember them no more? Because if he remembered them, they would interfere with your intimacy with him. Does that make sense? 
If God is going to keep us right with each other, if God is going to have us engage people the way we should, we cannot be past bearers of yours or other people's past. It does no good. Learn from the mistakes and then move forward. So, today, we choose that. Past crimes have been blotted out. We've come down the hill and it's a whole new reality now. And there, we let God correct and define us. And as He corrects and defines us, God the Helper takes His rightful place. And as God the Helper takes His rightful place, He leads us to a place of overflow. And as He leads us to a place of overflow, we start to discover that we actually aren't spectators. Christianity will never be a spectator sport. He calls us all as soldiers, beloved. And to where and to what field and battle He calls you, that is God's job to do. But as we're in overflow, we can't help but want to do something. And we don't even stop to, to figure out, well, what if I don't do it right because we recognize we're not doing it anyway? What if I fail? How could we fail if we're obeying God? Where's the failure there? Well, what if I get confused in the route? Keep your eyes on Christ. Don't worry. He knows. He knew that you'd say yes and what battles you'd face in the route. He already knew all of that when he recruited you. In other words, let's stop making it about ourselves at that point and just make ourselves available instead. Don't let fear cripple you. When you're looking at the future, if you look at the future without Jesus, what's, going to, what's it going to look like? Like something foreboding. You look at the future through Christ and you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's the difference. And maybe some of you, that's your thing. You're crippled right now because you're thinking about how you're inept. Good, well, good. Then it means you qualify for God's greatness, huh? God chooses the underdog. He has a soft spot for it. You think you're an underdog? Perfect. He probably has something huge planned for you. I'm convinced of that. So then I embrace what he calls me, and I realize that my investments need to be internal, eternal now, not just temporary. And he goes, hey, if Levi's going to be the priest that I call him to be, they cannot make it about this world anymore. Because they are representing eternity to a temporary world. Okay, follow me as we wrap through this now. He tells us this. And now, verse 11, Then the Lord said to me, let's go. Now that we've figured all of that out, let's go forward. Begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land in which I swore to your fa- their fathers to give them. And you know what? I really believe the Lord is calling us to stop here. You can read the rest of it and let the Lord teach you on it and lead you on it, as I would the same. The good news is, if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, the author of this book lives inside of you. He's the one who wrote the book. But I think there's already so much to chew on. I don't want to confuse us anymore by adding more information. But rather, I'd rather bring this to approach on this day, this communion Sunday, the first Sunday of 2015. Are you ready to start moving forward with me? Do not let your past define you anymore. Fair enough? You're a new creation. That's the way I see you. And even more so, that's the way He sees you. He chooses to forget so we can move forward. 
Why don't you do the same? Choose to leave it back so you can move forward with Him. Today, on this day, we follow Christ. He is God. An amazing ministry for every one of you. That, by the way, is bespoke. It has your name and uniquely your name on it. You can't do what I'm doing the way I do it. You do what God's called you to do the way you do it. And people get blessed. That's the beauty. God's not trying to make another Pastor Tony. We should all be thankful for that. What, God's trying, what God wants to make are examples of Christ. Could you imagine if Jesus embraced his past? Oh, the glory I had. Oh, how I missed that. The glory days. Up in heaven. No sin. Everything's awesome. Imagine how awful that would look then when he looked back at earth. I'd like you to consider this as we go to prayer. How many of you in here, and I'll define this, are confident that you have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, His death on the cross, His resurrection, confessing Him as Savior of your life and as Lord of your life. Go ahead and give me a show of hands. And I don't know why you would be even coy about that, even if you're mild. Okay, so listen. Do you realize that every bad thing you'll have from this point on is temporary. You realize that? There is no permanent bad thing. Struggles, they'll have an end. Sickness, it'll have an end. Battles, it'll have an end. People gone mental, that'll have an end. Strained relationships, they'll have an end. Bills, they'll have an end. Hallelujah. Taxes, they'll have an end. Hallelujah. Aging, it'll have an end. Praise God. Praise God. It will all come to pass. But what is good is eternal. God's love, His Word, His mercy endures Forever. My relationship with God, not only is it eternal, it gets better, baby. It gets better every day that I walk with Him. And not only does it get better every day that I walk with Him, but it also gets perfect the moment I see Him face to face because I'll be like Him. He won't have to whittle through any more of this nastiness. All that will be left is the part like Him. Why would I want to focus on the temporary? when the eternal is before me. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us if we're willing to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. That's pretty simple. He died on the cross because your sin needs to be punished just like mine so that it could be permanently punished. See, the good thing about Jesus is when he does something, he does it permanently. Have you, have you noticed that? It isn't like Jesus healed a guy that was blind and then a week later he started getting glasses. When God does something, he does all things right, well, and perfectly and permanently. I like that. 
to listen. God paid for your sins on that cross. Every one of them. And He paid for them permanently. And then He was buried so that they could be buried permanently. And when He rose again, He rose again in the newness of life. Not taking those things with Him. They were left in the grave forever to rot and to be gone forever. And you can choose the punishment of God or you can accept the gift of Christ. I've said yes to Jesus. And there, my verdict died with Him. And the new life He gave me is the life I seek to live. And I invite you to say yes. If you have said yes, I'd like to walk us through these things in prayer. And whatever your thing is, whatever that thing would be, that today you walk out of here changed. We are not dragging 2.14 into 2.15. Because it hasn't been written yet from our perspective. The Lord knows what it is. He's got the script. We've already lived 2.14. Now let's celebrate this whole year. And my prayer is, this isn't just the best year you've ever, that, that you've lived. This will be the best year you've ever lived until next year. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to pray first for anybody in this room that has yet to say yes to you and anyone that will listen online, on the radio or whatever. God, we need you. Why would we want to pay for what you've paid for? That just sounds dumb. We do not want to be self-righteous. But by faith and humility, we ask to become Christ-righteous. And God, you so loved us, you sent your only begotten Son, the only one from your gene pool, so that we could be adopted children of you. That as he died on the cross, our sins were paid for, properly punished. As he was buried, they were buried with him. And as he rose again, he shows us what life looks like to live without him. So Lord, I pray right now that if there be anyone in this room who has yet to say yes, that they would hear this prayer. And at the end of it all, they would boldly say amen. And by doing so, they're saying I agree. Let that be my prayer. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I'm a sinner. I come to you with my guilt, with my faults, with my failures. And in all of that, you still want me. You paid for it all. And invite me to receive that payment. And I boldly say yes. Confessing Jesus as my ransom, as my payment, as my redeemer. And as he resurrected and has a new life for me, I confess him as my Lord, giving him permission and surrendering the rights of my life to him. So here I am, I'm yours. I belong to you, Jesus, in your name. If you agree, I ask you to give a confident, resounding, Amen. And now, Lord, I pray for every believer, be them brand new, or be it that we feel like we've walked with you most of our life. Lord, first of all, 
detach us, free us, deliver us from our past. That we are no longer defined by it. That's no longer our identity. That at best is the tombstone of a person we are not anymore. And Lord, free us from that now. The bondage of what we've come from, that somehow we feel has limited our future, that somehow has encased us and and sort of cornered us onto a road that we don't want to be on. Today, here in this room, we choose to say yes to your absolute abolishment of our past. Every crime, every mistake, every horrible thing, we hand over to you and say, Lord, now wipe the slate clean for every lesson we've needed to learn. Embed that now in the, in the new program. But Lord, no longer let us bury the bear, no longer let us bear the burden of that guilt that you've already paid for. But rather, we want to be proper in our faith to trust that when you say you choose to remember no more and you cast as far as east is from west and you lift it off and permanently throw it away, we would be insulting you to bring it back when you've chosen to remove it. So, from this point on, we embrace what you walk us to the future and leave behind then the golden calves of where we come from. Lord, do that even right now. And Lord, as you do that, and you free us from that, lead us, Lord, to that place where your Holy Spirit leads us properly. Lead us to your word so we would know who you are for who you really are and not let the world define you. That we would learn who we are and not let the world define us. Who we are in you now. And as your Holy Spirit takes his rightful place in our lives, lead us to the place of overflow where we discover what it's like to serve because we want to, because we crave to, because we're so in love with you, we just can't stop. And as you lead us to that place, Lord, detach us from anything that makes the world of value that's going to be temporary and attach it instead to the people who are going to be eternal and thus to seek to see them brought to you as well. Lord, may we now store our treasures in heaven as you've treasured us in heaven. May we store our treasures there now as well. So Lord, as you lead us forward, we embrace the future you have for us by embracing you. Guide us and lead us to the greatest life. Not just a better one, but the greatest life where we don't even recognize who we were, but rather all we see is what we want to become, and that's you. And here we are now. We're yours. We commit that to you, Jesus, as we hand ourselves over to you. This is your year and the beginning of the rest of our life of yours. Jesus, in your name. Amen.